morning. Good morning. Good morning. You uh, probably know Doug and James are part of the Haiti missionary team. So that makes me the backup to the backup to the backup. <laughs> the guy they call when they're desperate. Now, if you don't know me, my name's Jason Selman. I've been coming to New Life for about six years. Do this occasionally. And uh, back when Doug asked me to uh, fill in for him on this day, we were going through the book of Acts as a church. And uh, whenever we do that, I'm always impressed with the, the, the apostles in the early church uh, in the book of Acts because, to me, they seem to be so fearless. Uh, in those days, something's going on here. In those days, uh, <clears throat> to share in the gospel of Christ meant that you could be uh, subjected to imprisonment. You could be murdered. Uh, you could be beaten. But uh, as I study through Acts, I can see God's people fearless in the face of danger and determined to do one thing, and that's to share in the message of Jesus Christ. And with Halloween being around the corner, uh, to me, you know, Halloween always associated with with uh, scary things. And so, uh, because when I was a kid during Halloween, I was scared of things, and and uh, and I know a lot of us do that. We dress up in scary costumes and go around scaring each other. And I thought, why do we celebrate that one day a year? And I, and I really think that it, it was a fitting topic today to talk about fear because obviously it resonates uh, deep within us. You know, we celebrate it once a year. Uh, I know you celebrate it because I work for Walmart and they make a bunch of money off you celebrating it. <laughs> so the question I want to ask you this morning is as a follower of Christ, what scares you? I know, I know something does, because when I look at the church today, uh, I don't see that fearlessness that I see in the book of Acts, that first church. And I'm not talking about this church in particular. I'm just talking about the church in general. I don't see the same uh, courageousness in the face of uh, uh, a life-threatening uh, 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 moment. Uh, I see that we are timid in our witness because we don't want to be offensive. Uh, when, uh, be honest, last week... When you, uh, we did the don't go to church, be the church day. How many of you had the thought, because, you know, we were supposed to go and knock on doors and, and uh, you know, ask folks if we could do work for them and stuff. How many of you had the thought, I don't want to be the one knocking on doors? Because you might have got caught in a conversation with them. We all had the same kind of T-shirts, so right off the bat, as soon as they open the door, they know you belong to a church. They could read it on your shirt. And what if they started asking you questions that maybe you couldn't answer? Did anybody have thoughts like that? Am I the only one? You know, things start coming uh, through our minds, you know, like what if, what if we look stupid? What if we look like idiots? Uh, I think that if uh, each one of us spent enough time thinking about what scares us about following Christ, we, each of us could come up with something. Maybe it has something to do with money. You might be afraid that you'll starve to death if you started tithing. In my case, one of my kids would starve to death if I started tithing. No, I do tithe, and we don't starve. <laughs> they are skinnier than me, though. You do the math. Uh, <clears throat> maybe you're afraid that uh, people will find something out about you that you've done in your past. And OMG, he might even ask you to give a testimony about it. Now, that's scary. They could probably make a movie about that with some of you. <laughs> 
Some of you don't want to get too close to God because it, he might call you to become a missionary in some third world country, you know, someplace like Haiti where we have uh, folks there now. Uh, and uh, you won't have cable TV and cell phone coverage. Yeah. Some of you uh, may be uh, afraid to follow Christ because uh, sin is just too much fun. And, and for some reason we've had this idea that if we do life God's way, then it'll be boring. And I'll just be honest with you, for me, it scares me to get up here in front of you. I, you know, I don't feel like I have anything I can teach you. I don't uh, uh, feel like I have enough Bible knowledge to, to, to I worry about what I might say and it, it might be wrong. I mean, what if I messed up? Uh, what if I don't say a word right and you start laughing at me? Questions come to my mind before I get up here like, I mean, what if I say something that offends you? You know, what if, uh, you know, all the time that I made my notes and stuff, what if I, when I'm talking, uh, it's not making any sense to you at all? I mean, it made sense to me, but what if it doesn't make any sense to you? The, the first time that I ever filled in for Doug was a few years ago in the, in the old building. And I'll tell you something. My nerves were working overtime. And I, I, I remember having this thought. I mean, my nerves were so bad, I almost ran out the back door. I mean, I, I, I had to physically just grab onto something because I wanted to bolt. And I remember having this thought, thinking, man, I could run out the back and I could fake having a stomach virus. And, you know, I could really milk it. Oh, I don't want to Oh. And surely the church would forgive me because the church wouldn't want me up here with a stomach virus. I mean, they would forgive me for that. Uh, maybe uh, uh, they wouldn't know the, the truth. Maybe I could fool them and they wouldn't know the truth that, that, uh, of how much a grown man can be afraid of public speaking. But I can proudly stand before you today and confess my fears. And I can hold my head up knowing that even though the fears were there, that the fear didn't dictate my actions. So what I'm saying is, Whatever fears that you have for following Christ, whatever is keeping you from being a fearless witness, those fears are there. But we can't let those fears dictate what we do. So how do we become fearless, fearless followers of Christ? That's an opportunity for you to point your finger and laugh at me. <laughs> so what, is a, what does a fearless follower of Christ even look like? And uh, the best place I could find is in Acts chapter 2. And we can take a, a, like a brief snapshot of, of Peter uh, at a moment that he's preaching. At this point in Scripture, Jesus has been crucified, been buried, and has resurrected. The religious elite have uh, rejected him and his message, uh, and he's spent about 40 days after resurrection teaching them. Uh, and he's just ascended back into heaven, but he told the apostles that the Comforter would come. And he's speaking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and they all gathered together, and, and the, the, this is how intimidating it would be for someone they all gathered together, and there were Jews. Uh, there were folks from uh, under every from every kingdom under heaven. So imagine that the known world at that time. There's people representing every nation. I mean, it's bad enough for me to get nervous in front of a small group. Imagine, you know, people from all over the known world. So that's what Peter was facing. And so the the Holy Spirit comes in a, in a very visible way. Uh, and something happens. They all start speaking in the languages of each other, declaring the wonders of God. And the people were amazed and perplexed. So the question was asked, what does this mean? 
here comes the opposition. And some in the group, however, uh, began to make fun of them and accuse them of being drunk. So you have this uh, awesome work of the Holy Spirit, and people are amazed, and they want to know what's happening. They're sincerely seeking the truth when all of a sudden you have these, this group of people come in and begin to try to just explain away the, 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 the great miracle that God had done. Oh, they're just drunk. How many times have you seen God doing something in someone's life and they're perplexed and amazed? And the, and the question is raised, what does this mean? Only for someone to come in there and snuff out the fire that God has lit and, uh, and explain away the miracle that has happened in their life. What do you do in a situation like that? Would you, what would you do? What would, you, would you say something? Would you stand and, pr- and proclaim the, the wonders of God? I don't know. I mean, what if that person had a doctorate in science and they presented a good argument based on the, the laws of science and you barely made it through high school? What if they're uh, very articulate and, and a very powerful speaker and uh, whenever you talk, you sound like a country bumpkin? What if they work for some group that claims they care about people's civil liberties and they threaten to sue you for hate speech because you call sin, sin? What would you do? I like how Peter dealt with it. He simply stood up and addressed the crowd. It doesn't tell us that he, he, he looked in the crowd to see who was in the crowd, interviewed them, see what the background was, and uh, he just stood up. At the moment that he saw the Spirit of God working, and he saw the opposition come in, he stood up and, and addressed the crowd. In the middle of the confusion, he began to preach. He started to quote scripture and spoke with confidence. And in verse 40 of Acts chapter 2, this is what the text says. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people became followers of Christ based on some guy who stood up and repeated the Lord, what the Lord had taught him. He didn't add anything to it. He didn't take anything away. He stood up and he preached what was taught to him. He was a guy that called his generation what it was, corrupt. And I think that this is a picture of what it means to be a fearless follower of Christ. You know, you got to remember, Jesus was just arrested, crucified, because he claimed to be the Son of God, the Savior of to the world. And now Peter is standing in a public place uh, sharing that same message. But with Peter, instead of being arrested, 3,000 people came into a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. But the thing about Peter that you have to know is that he wasn't always that fearless. The thing with Peter is that he didn't always believe in the message that he taught. And I, if I have to tell you which biblical character I identify with the most, it's Peter. Peter was a very impulsive person, and he stuck his foot in his mouth constantly. I, I do do that. See, Peter, here's the other thing I identify with. Peter had not always been in the center of God's will. He wasn't always willing to be obedient. He hasn't uh, always trusted the words of Jesus Christ. 
So let's take a look at Peter and let's just see if maybe we can find something that, that we can learn from. There are at least three different phases in Peter's Christian life that Scripture tells us uh, about that I think that we can benefit from. Maybe there's more, but I found three, and that fits the time limit that we have. The first uh, phase in Peter's Christian life, I, I, let's call that the preparation phase. Not preparation H, preparation phase. I was going to call Jeff Gillis out on that, but he's not here. Okay, look at Matthew chapter 16. It's uh, verses 21 and 24. At this time, Jesus is asking his disciples an important question. It's kind of like a pop quiz. He's, uh, he's been given various answers from the other disciples, and he, he gets to Peter, and he asks Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter says that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was, he nailed it. That was the answer that Jesus was looking for. Uh, and at this point, Jesus, man, he's, he says to Peter, you are blessed, Peter, because it, you, this was revealed to you by my Father, uh, and that you are Peter, you are the rock in which I will build my church, and I will... Uh, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Okay. So you kind of get a picture of Peter. He, he got, a, got the answer right and, and, and Jesus is just complimenting him and complimenting him. And I can imagine Peter's head swelling up. He's just swelling up with pride. He's looking at the other disciples. And he's thinking, yeah, yeah, I got the right answer. You suck. I'm number one. And the very next verse, okay, I just summed up that uh, part right before verse 21 this is this is peter saying uh, jesus saying all this good stuff about peter and we get to verse 21 it says from that time on jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life peter took him aside and began to rebuke him never lord he said this shall never happen to you jesus turned and said to Peter, this is moments later, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me and you do not have in mind the things of God but the things of men. Okay, I'm going to say something kind of sick because I actually look forward to this. I can't wait for the day that I get into heaven and I, and I have a chance to say this to Peter. I want to say, Peter, you remember when Jesus called you Satan? Man, I bet that was embarrassing. I don't know why I want to do that. I just want to do that. I... <clears throat> Not really. I, I probably wouldn't really do that. But here in the text, you have a totally different image of Peter than you get in the book of Acts. We see Jesus telling his disciples what is about to happen, what has to happen, and then Peter rebukes him. In order for... Uh, for Peter to be a fearless follower of Jesus, Jesus had to prepare Peter for the job. And in this case, it was to show Peter that he, his mind was on the things of men, not the things of God. His mind was not in the right place. You know, we also think too much of what we think. Whenever God is telling us to do something, which, you know, he speaks to us through his word, whenever he tells us to do something, uh, we say... Hang on, Lord. I've got a better idea. We rebuke him. I hear what you're saying, Lord. But what about this? No, no, Lord. It'll never happen. And uh, Jesus goes on to give us the solution to this problem in verse 24. 
Then he says to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you're ever going to be a fearless follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to deny yourself and pick up your cross. That means that we have to be obedient until death. That we have to be obedient when it doesn't make sense to us. We have to be obedient when it's not our plan. Our, our good ideas are not always God's ideas. And if you're going through experiencing God, you know that. You're familiar with that. When we're hearing clearly what God plans to do, we need to deny our impulses, deny our desires, uh, deny our little good ideas that we want to attach on top of His will. Don't think so highly of what you think. Would you want Jesus to call you a stumbling block? Or even worse, would you want Jesus to call you Satan? I don't think that anybody in this room wants our Lord Jesus Christ to refer to them as Satan. Turn uh, to Matthew chapter 26, if you have your Bibles. Uh, This is towards the end of Jesus' ministry. He has called the disciples to join him in what we refer to as the Last Supper. After Jesus uh, gives them communion, that is, they took, took the bread of the body and the and the wine that represented his blood, again, Jesus begins to tell the disciples what is going to happen, what must happen. In verse 31, it says, uh, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written. You know, and so many times in in, in these scenarios, Jesus is quoting scripture, a prophecy that he must fulfill, okay, in order to be... Uh, the Messiah. He had to fulfill prophecies. So this is what he's telling them. He says uh, uh, that I must do this. I must complete, li- uh, complete this. And this is how spiritually discerned the disciples could be at times. He says, This very night you will all fall away on the count of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, If all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declares, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. So Jesus is trying to share with his closest disciples what God is going to do. Uh, even, he's even telling them that he's going to rise again. Uh, and it's almost if, if Peter just interrupts Jesus and in what he's trying to say. And he says that. He says, yeah, Lord, excuse me, Lord. Pardon me, I hear what you're saying, but even though they might fall away, I will never fall away. I, I think Peter was kind of a teacher's pet, you know. He, he tried real hard for Jesus' approval. You know, and Jesus responds to him, oh, yeah, Peter, you, you're, you're going to deny me three times before the morning comes. And I can uh, just see Peter arguing with him, kind of chuckling. <laughs> Oh, Lord Jesus, God of the universe, I hear what you're saying, but I'm Peter. I will never leave you. So who do you think was right? The Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, or Peter? Jesus was right. I know we're flipping through a lot of scriptures, but if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke 22. Verses uh, 54. Uh, <clears throat> Moments later, after Peter was uh, just adamantly trying to prove his loyalty to Jesus, we come to the point of Jesus' arrest in verse 54. 
Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, but when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and, and, and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. Okay, he started with Jesus. They have taken Jesus away. Who does he sit down with? The other side. They arrest Peter, and already he's sitting with those that have arrested Peter. I mean, Jesus. He's already flipped sides. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked at him closely and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter, uh, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is Galean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he, he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And I want you to listen to this carefully. The Lord turned, looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before. The rooster crowed, that he had spoken to him before. The rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. I'll tell you right now that it's my prayer that you would one day weep bitterly if you haven't already. And I don't, I don't mean that I just want to see you crying. I, I want to see you weep bitterly. Because uh, like Peter, no matter how much Peter tried to puff himself up, no matter how many times that he told Jesus that, that, that he wasn't going to leave him, he left him. And I think when Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter saw Jesus looking at Peter, I think that broke his heart. I think that was the first time that Peter had ever seen himself for what he really was. All those times before, it was this idea of himself. Well, I want to be the best. I think I'm pretty tough. You remember those uh, uh, T-shirts? They were, I know they were popular in the 90s and when I was in high school. They, they had no fear written over them. You know what I'm talking about? I can't see nothing. <laughs> well, just because that you went out and purchased one of those shirts and it said no fear, did that mean that you experienced no fear? How many of you guys had uh, stencils on the back of your truck, ain't scared? Does that mean you ain't scared of nothing? No. We've got to be more than our words. You've got you to be more than what you're flapping gums say. And I think there, at this point that, that Peter saw Jesus seeing him for what he was, there was no place for Peter to hide. There was no lie to hide behind. I mean, there was no fa- facade that, 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 that he could hide behind. <laughs> Peter, Peter knew that Jesus knew him. And the thing is that Jesus knew Peter the whole time. Jesus had known Peter from the moment that he called Peter to follow him, but Peter didn't know Peter. I think if you're going to be a fearless uh, witness, then you need to make a, a, a very accurate assessment of yourself. No more talking smack so that you look like something that you're not. You are what you are, and you're not here by accident. God didn't mistakenly call you. You weren't mistakenly or accidentally adopted into the, the family of God. Jesus knows you. He has known you since he has called you. But maybe you don't know you. And that's a problem. 
Maybe some of you today, you've got something hidden away. And I want you to know that you cannot bury it deep enough that Jesus cannot, cannot see it. You're only fooling yourself. You can tell him what you want and you can talk a bunch of smack about how you're better than you really are. But Jesus knows you. Jesus had to do some, some work on Peter before he could be a fearless witness for him. He had to show him that his mind was not on the, uh, was not on the things of God, but on the things of men. So what do you have your mind set on? He had to show Peter that he was uh, too arrogant and too puffed up with false pride. Just because you say you're something, it doesn't mean it's true. Then he let Peter see himself for what he was. And this was the phase that God brought Peter through in order to prepare him for service. Maybe God is uh, preparing you now. And the time that, uh, that you spend in this phase is going to be directly uh, linked to the time it takes for you to learn these lessons. And then maybe, maybe you feel like God will never use you. Maybe you feel like uh, you never will be a fearless follower of Jesus Christ then I want you to just look at Scripture. Look at the life of Peter and tell me early on, it's easy to open up the Acts and see this powerful speaker, but early on in Peter's life, would you have put your money on him? I mean, Jesus called him Satan. All bets were off for me. I mean, I wouldn't, give him, I wouldn't bet a nickel on him. When, when the Lord of the universe calls you Satan, I mean, that's bad. But he did become a fearless follower of Jesus Christ because he let Jesus, I mean, he, he, he was obedient to what Jesus was showing him. And so don't give up hope. I'm telling you, if you've got things in your life, God's preparing you for something, uh, maybe uh, your, your, your mind's set on things of people, uh, don't worry about it. Just let, let Jesus Christ work in you. Let him prepare you for, for his service. The next phase that, that I can see in Peter's life is the restoration phase. Okay, <clears throat> so when we left Peter, he was weeping bitterly. You know, Peter messed up. And God had uh, brought him to a point in his life where I think, you know, Peter finally got it for the first time, okay? In almost three years of, of, of spending, uh, three years of Peter's life with, with Jesus, he finally gets it towards the end. And the next thing to happen was that uh, Jesus uh, restored him back to a position of service. In John 21, uh, verses 15 through 17, Jesus, uh, at this point, he's gone and he's, been crucified, uh, he's been resurrected, and, and he's made appearances to the disciples. And at this time, I'm thinking Peter's probably feeling pretty ashamed of his actions uh, because where we pick up, Peter's, uh, he's out fishing. I think that Peter kind of went back to his old life. Uh, uh, and Jesus makes his uh, third appearance to the disciples, and he helps them uh, haul in a big load of fish, and then he helps them prepare a meal and they eat. And this is what it says. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? At that, Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord... You know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, 
I'm going to break that down. We're going to walk through these verses and I'm going to dissect them. It's going to be kind of an expository fashion uh, because I want you to see how smart I can be. I mean, I want you to see what the scripture is really saying. I mean, you can open it up so you can learn something from it. There's a really a lot there that's said that I think if you read it too fast, you just might miss. So the first thing I want to point out that was interesting to me is that Jesus refers to, to Peter as Simon, son of John. Okay? Simon was a name that he had when Jesus first called him into ministry. That was his first name. Peter, uh, which means rock, that was, the Peter, that was the name that Jesus gave him. So I think it's interesting that, that uh, Jesus refers to him as Simon as if, as if he's saying, Peter, I know who you are. I know where you come from. It's the same... Uh, uh, he's saying that you're the same person and I knew you from the beginning and you created this into something that it was never meant to be. You know, Peter, we know that Peter had a, a tendency to think higher of himself than he really had a right to. I wonder if Jesus was reminding Peter that, uh, that it was him that had called Peter to be a disciple. You know, that Peter had this problem of trying to impress Jesus. He tried so hard to be the best of the disciples to, to the point that it pulled Peter away from the original purpose Jesus had intended. Jesus had called him. When he called him, he said, follow me. You see, sometimes we get so wrapped up in trying to be impressive to God that we lose the original purpose in which God has called us into fellowship. It's just to follow him. Jesus wants us to simply follow him, yet somehow we turn into this huge contest between us and other believers about who could be the best. And we lose our focus. And instead of being impressive to Jesus, we become those stumbling blocks that trip up other people who are seeking him. And Jesus, you know, he's, he refers to him as Simon Peter. But then, then he asked Peter three times if he loved him. And the first time he says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And the thing to point out here is that uh, when he's asking, the, he's asking this question, it's in, it's in the presence of the other disciples. So that uh, when, when uh, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? The, these are probably Jesus, Jesus talking about the other disciples. You know, Peter tried so hard to be the best that, that he was almost consumed with the others knowing that he was the best, that Jesus thought it worthwhile to make a point, to make sure that Peter was done competing with other disciples. He wanted to make sure that Peter was done trying to win approval from people. So how has your relationship with Jesus Christ been lately? Is it determined? Is it determined by what other people think? Are you driven to impress God by outperforming other people? If so, I want to ask you something simple, something that Jesus has Peter. Do you love him more than these? Do you love Jesus more than, than you care about what other people think? And can you answer as Peter did? Did you notice how content Peter was with his answer? Peter doesn't try to go overboard uh, and try to just convince Jesus of what he's saying. He was content to say, Lord, you know. You know that I love you. It's almost like Peter has, has learned this huge lesson. There's no more trying too hard, no more over the top, but simply to trust what Jesus knew in his heart. The second time that Peter asked, uh, Jesus asked Peter, he says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? 
Well, what does Jesus mean with the second question? Well, I don't know, but I'm going to give you something. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, then you'll obey my commands. So maybe he's asking Peter, Will you truly obey my commands? We know that Peter had difficulty with this and that he sought after uh, uh, what he wanted to do uh, more so than he sought to trust in what Jesus said had to happen. And I'm sorry. There's no way around it. We can sit here all day long and we can sing sing pretty songs and we can uh, testify to one another about how great uh, our love for Jesus Christ is, but we have to prove it in our actions. Jesus says, if you love me, then you'll keep my commands. And if you love Jesus, then you'll obey him. And I'm not saying that you'll be perfect. You know, I love my wife and I'm not a perfect husband. And you can love Jesus and still not be perfect. But when you mess up, you just can't stay there. You can't get comfortable there. In order for Peter to be restored to service, I really believe that Jesus was asking for Peter's trust and obedience. I don't think obedience is so much about what you have done out of ignorance as it is knowing the truth of what, uh, what to do and then doing something about it. Do you accept his commands or do you reject his commands is what I'm saying. You know, if you're living in disobedience, then you're being led of your own sinful nature. And you're not giving the command of your life to Jesus. If God was restoring you to a position of service, could you answer the question? To, would you have the right answer to the question, do you truly love Jesus? The third time that Jesus asked, he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the Greek word used here is, is agapeo. And it's, uh, it's the kind of love that the father has for the son and the son has for the father. It's that uh, uh, everlasting, unconditional kind of love. Uh, it's also used as the kind of love that we're to have for our enemies. And so this speaks uh, to me of the kind of love that's just not always easy. It's not always convenient. You know, it's not easy to love your enemies. You can't say that it's easy for the father to, to, to love the son to allow the son to endure the wages of sin when he was without sin. I know that wasn't easy. So when you see Peter with Jesus, it was easy for Peter to love Jesus. But when things got difficult, what did Peter do? He bailed. He switched sides. When things got out of hand or when Peter perceived that Jesus was no longer in control, Peter abandoned Jesus. When he thought that he was on the losing side, he just changed sides. What I want to tell you this morning is that loving Jesus won't always be easy. It's mostly difficult. But when you're in a crowd or even a community and you feel like uh, for a moment that things are impossible for God, don't quit. Don't give up. Can Jesus rely on you? Will you truly love him? Can you say that you love him even through hard times? The last question that he asked Peter, that hurt Peter. And I'm going to tell you that conviction hurts. But you can, if you look in that text, you can see the end of the old Peter. You know, you can see that he's sick of his old ways. It's like in this moment, he knew that he had been wrong all along. And for the first time in a long time, he was in total submission and agreement with Jesus. He says, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. You know, if Jesus was asking you this morning the same set of questions, you know that, that, you know that you're not going to fool him that you're not going to pull the wool over his eyes, 
And I think you too would be sick with conviction over the way that you've been loving Jesus. I do. I get sick with conviction. Maybe you're at the end of yourself, and my friend, that is a wonderful place to be. When you're at the bottom, way at the bottom where there's nothing left of you, then that's when Jesus can appoint you, restore you back to a position of service. Because that's the only time that you'll be beneficial to him. We've uh, read that Jesus, in Jesus' own words, telling us that if, if we're going to follow him, then we first need to deny ourselves. And we have to obey him. And that's how we become a fearless follower of Christ. Because we've seen how incapable we are when we are fully relying on ourselves. We need to fully rely on Jesus. And then we'll have no fear. Okay, back to Acts chapter 2. The third phase that I see in Peter's life. We'll call it the motivation phase. Verses 1. I'm going to kind of chop it up a little bit and go through it quick. Verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, uh, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, just as a, uh, because each one had heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears him in our own native tongue? Corinthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, began to make fun of them, saying they had too much wine. When you belong to Jesus then the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you, then you can see when God is doing something in His people. When you, you can see God working, you're compelled to act. In verse 14, we pick up, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Uh, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Job. In the last days, God, will, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Flood, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you're motivated by God's Holy Spirit, you'll have a hunger for God's Word and trust what He says that you'll sh- so much that you'll share it with other people. And when someone is trying to just explain it away, you're going to have a good answer. You see the difference in the old Peter and the new Peter? You'll confidently share uh, with the world what Jesus has been showing and explaining to you all along. Verse 22, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you will, and, with, 
And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. When you're motivated by the Spirit of God, you'll not be confused about who the Lord is. And, and when you will declare the truth, when you do that, you will pierce the, the hearts of the people. And when they ask you, you'll have the answer ready. This is what happens in 36. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many words he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and 3,000 were added to the number that day. That's the whole story. When you're motivated to action by God, there will be huge results. Some of you need to be prepared because your minds aren't right. Let Jesus prepare you. Some of you need to be restored because of some things that you've done. Let Jesus restore you. Some of you need to be motivated. Let Jesus motivate you. That's how we become fearless followers of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know us. We just pray, Lord, that you would create in us a fearlessness, a confidence, not in ourselves, but in you. And Lord, that we would stand up in this community, stand up in our workplace, stand up in our homes, and we would pro profess your lordship. We would profess that you came to this earth to die as a ransom for us and that we'll never please God on our own deeds. That it's only by your precious blood that we can have right standing with, 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 with you. So Lord, for those that don't know you, I pray, God, that you would call them into a relationship with you. Those that haven't uh, uh, loved you as we should, I pray, God, that that you would call us into obedience. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the boldness to preach about you and we can make changes in this community. In Jesus' name, amen.